recording. Go. All right. Nine. Number nine, episode nine. Episode. All right. Welcome back to the Brutally Honest Officer Podcast. I am Stephen Brock, and I'm joined with Derek Brown here. And we're loan officers at the mortgage firm located here in Florida. And today we're having our very first guest on our podcast. We officially made it that far. And none other than the amazing Sherry Nedley. Good morning. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you. All right. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you here. Uh, I think we're going to start every episode where we have a guest with the same question. So do you believe in aliens? I don't know. Yes, no. Oh, she has the same answer as me. There's too many unexplained things. But why haven't they you just know? Why haven't they shown themselves? Right. Like I believe in that there's microorganisms on other planets, but I'm talking about like like an alien that you could have a conversation with. I don't think that's real. I mean Derek, if you disappear tonight, we know why. Yeah. <laughs> there's aliens listening to our podcast. Yeah. yeah. I think there's just too many unexplained things that I don't know. It's a good point. All right. Fair enough. Um, Sherry, you just hit 25 years with the mortgage firm. Congratulations. Thank you. Huge milestone. Um, and I'm assuming that as a thank you for 25 years of service, you were promoted to chief operating officer. <laughs> is that correct? You just hit a milestone. So they were like, here you go, Sherry, you can have it. Uh, no, it would be that 25 years of work that got me to where I am. <laughs> That's it. Got it. Um, what other positions have you held with the mortgage firm? So when I started with the company in 1999, I was actually their very first closer. Um, it's when they got their very first warehouse line um, and they wanted to expand into then what was called mini correspondent. So they were... Um, that's when we started our very first, you know, doing our own closing packages and funding our own loans. So that's why I started. And I did that and the post-closing and some accounting and just kind of whatever was needed to, you know, fill the gaps until we got bigger. So um, I was the only closer for about 10 years. Um, and then <clears throat> the guys actually went behind my back and hired somebody because I refused to let them hire somebody to help me, <laughs> even though I desperately needed it. Um, so you know, so that was about 10 years in that we brought on and, and grew the closing department, had separate funders, post-closers and all of that stuff and really started to expand. And then from there, it was um, operations manager. And that one actually was pretty funny because we interviewed this lady who was fantastic and she would have been perfect for the job. And I told Todd that I was never going to report to anybody but him. I didn't want anybody in between us, like the the way we work together and the flow that we had, I didn't want that interrupted. And he's like, well, then you take the job. And so I did. So that's how I, you know, started running operations and then, you know, kind of morphed from there into secondary and then from secondary into COO. That is amazing. Yeah. Pot, like, I'm taking this. <laughs> yeah. I just couldn't see myself reporting to somebody else. Right. I mean, it had been over 10 years that I reported directly to him and the ownership. So why would I want to change that? Right. Uh, um, we, we're going to get them on one day, too. But like Brett and Todd, how they run this company is like, what do you need to make this work? And they're like, all right, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Like that's always been the only closer. Were you working like 90 hours a week sometimes? I was working a lot of hours. Yeah. You know, I just I, can't imagine. yeah. So my best month ever was like 260 something Oh long. my God. So, um, yeah, it was a, it was a little chaotic, but we did it. So I didn't do that's it. awesome. All right. Well, so that's in the past. Um, kind of looking to the future now. So how, how does a company's kind of current strategy align with this, like, you know, long-term, I guess, vision, uh, maybe some key points, but we're kind of seeing with the the company, maybe like the next five years. Cause I know there's, there's a lot of companies, I would say a lot of LOs getting out of the business companies kind of shutting down. So how are we looking on that, that end? Yeah. So the statistics are that there was a 40% failure to renew for licensed loan originators. Um, nationwide. So yes, there are significantly less LOs in the market. Um, for a company like ours, you know, we I think have done a pretty good job in retaining, you know, the origination staff that we have, um, making sure that, you know, we are um, Salesforce first, right? Making sure that we provide them with every tool possible to be able to do their job successfully. And, you know, by tools, I mean, people, products, technology, all of that stuff rolls together to, to make it possible to be able to do what you do um, out on the street. So, you know, the next five years it, in this industry, it is really hard to say what's going to happen, right? I mean, I couldn't accurately predict what's going to happen in the next 30 days, probably, you know, with just because any one thing can throw the whole thing into chaos. So, you know, we try to just stay steady and maintain the same strategy um, month after month, which is to support our sales staff and close loans. That's kind of, that's what I saw last year. I mean, last year was kind of a lot of turmoil in the market. The market was volatile on a regular basis. Um, so I know that, and I think it was, well, you've talked about it, Brett and Todd, uh, but we were profitable 12 months last year, correct? Yes. Where other companies were weren't um are there operational challenges like that you guys overcame last year um or i guess it kind of just aligns with everything that you just said i just feel like we're not reactionary like a lot of other companies are i feel like you guys plan ahead so how do you like how are you able to plan ahead better and not be so reactionary so does that make sense in january of 2022 we you know, Todd and I kind of got together and we were talking about, you know, what was going to be coming down the pipe, right? What were we already seeing? And we were already seeing rates go up. Um, at that point, we were in the mid um, fives, right, in January 2022. And there was nothing out there indicating that rates were not going to keep going up. So we made the decision back then to start making operational changes. Um, and for a company our size at that time, it was it meant having to do, you know, layoffs, you know, you know, calling down our staff to what was needed for the volume that was there now and for anticipating what the volume would be to come. Um, it was coaching our branch managers on, you know, what did they really need, um, that this was going to be a long-term challenge and that they needed to um, make changes now so that they could sustain all the way through till, you know, we had some kind of a recovery. So, I think that we were ahead of the curve by having that discussion in January of 2022. Um, there were companies that did not have that discussion until October of 23. And that was way too late 
for them to make meaningful changes to turn a profit. Some of those companies had major losses. Yeah. Um, all right. So you just had the hard conversation early. Yes. I mean. And they are hard conversations. I, oh. I don't ever take any of that stuff lightly. Um, having to make changes like that. You know, nobody wants to have to make those decisions. Um, especially when you get to the point that, you know, where you were, you get to where you have like your favorite people left, right? I mean, <laughs> that's really yeah. what it comes down to, right? Is you have the best of the best left. Um, and, you know, if you have to make further cuts from there, those are the ones that hurt, right? They, they make you sad. Um, but the company's longevity is obviously my number one priority. Um, and it's keeping as many people employed as possible. And, you know, and we made it through to the other side. I, I do believe that we are on the other side. It's going to be a slow recovery. Um, you know, I, I think that anybody who thinks, you know, it's going to be quick is misinformed. Um, right. So I do think that it will be slow over this year and into next. So you kind of went right into my my next topic with it. One, I want to say first, you said we keep the favorite people. Derek and I are still here, so I'm just saying. <laughs> we were talking about operations staff. We're on the sales side. Okay, well, I'm still I'm I'm taking a win. <laughs> Might be just a small one, but I'm taking it. Um, so you know, rates drastically went up, and they're slowly coming back down. As you were just kind of talking about, are we seeing? Is a company doing? We were very proactive on the front end of them going up. Are we being really proactive of them coming down? Do we see, you know, I I, I don't think it's going to be where they go from, you know, drop a point overnight, like where they seem like they raise a point overnight. But do you, what is the company kind of doing, seeing what that's, what might be happening in the next, you know, year and a half to two years? So we are using this opportunity to implement more technological strategies for growth instead of people. Right. So there are things that we can implement that will help us scale without having to panic higher. And, you know, in 2020 with COVID and, and the drop in rates and all, and the volume that was there, I think there was a lot of panic hiring because you needed people. You just needed people. Um, so you didn't necessarily get the best um, and they were really expensive. Right. Because they could demand it. The, the market demanded higher pay. And so that's what was there. Um, so this time around, we're looking to make sure that we scale our growth um, more appropriately and be able to find the right people for the right price um, to bring into the fold um, as we you know, grow a little bit more. But that scalability with technology is what's going to help us do that at a slower pace so that we make the right decisions. Can you expand on the technology a little bit? Yeah, so it's you know things like um, having a, a singular experience for the borrower. So they have one thing that they use, one app that they use from start to finish on the transaction. Um, you know, that's a piece that I think is super important, one for the customer experience, for the salesperson's right. experience, um, and for operationally. You know, if, if everything is in one place, um, you know, by using technology to put it all in one place, it helps everybody to be more streamlined. Um, and so when you have things more streamlined, you are more efficient, which means you can do more, um, you know, things like AI, using AI tools to assist in evaluating documents. Um, you know, we still use um, the traditional 
what's called AUS for underwriting. And we have obviously still have physical underwriting happening, looking at the loans and the documentation. You know, we don't 100% rely on AI. It's just a companion tool that we use right. through the process. And that's where AI can kind of underwrite a loan, but it'll go through things and find things that are missing that can then streamline the underwriter. So where an underwriter person would sit in a loan, review everything and take two hours to underwrite it, they can use the AI companion tool and then do something in 10 minutes that used to take two hours. Right. So that's one of the things I see. We talked about it at our sales rally between that, the streamlined application process, automated follow-up and stuff like that that we're using. So a lot of it, yeah, I agree. It's streamlining the process, just making it so much smoother for And it allows for scalability, right? So if, you, if you've taken the process from two hours to even 30 minutes, right? So say 30 minutes, that's an hour and a half. That's Now you can do four loans in the time that you used to do one. Right. That's scalability. Just the, the AI part of the income calculation where you like upload the documents and it's like, it reads it all where yes. like, yeah, you got to double check it. Like that's what you're, you're reviewing it, but it's like, you just send it to somebody, they send it back to you. And now you're like, yep, okay, that was right. Instead of, you know, you putting every little detail into it. It's it's amazing. Absolutely. I was telling my loan partners, like, we should just be doing income documents that way when they're like super hard, just like, nope, throw them in there, let it come back with it and then then deal with it. Yeah, we had a self-employed borrower where we thought it, we had all the income. AI found more. You're saying? So the mortgage firm has been recognized as, as you said, like the, we're talking about customer service and year after year we won customer service awards. Like what are we, how does the company ensure that we have the, the high quality customer service throughout it. I know we're talking about making the process more streamlined. Is there anything else that we're doing to kind of, you know, build that up? So, you know, in everything that we do, the customer is at the core. Um, and we, everybody in this company has a customer, right? And it not isn't necessarily the borrower, right? So my customers would be the sales team, the operations team. Those are my customers. So by providing the best customer service that I can, that allows them to turn around and provide their customer the best service that they can. So in supporting the sales staff, you know, to the nth degree allows that sales staff to go out and support the borrower to the nth degree. And so that that does translate. It translates to good, solid customer experience. Um, it, it It's important that our sales team is educated um, that they know what they are talking about at every stage of the loan, that they're communicating with all parties, you know, both sides of the realtor transaction, you know, the borrower, um, you know, making sure that their their team, loan partner, loan processor are all on the same page for that borrower. You know, communication is huge. And if you're not communicating and this transaction is the biggest thing that a borrower is going to do, right? So by not communicating, you're not educating the borrower, they're scared, they feel alone. That's what we educate our teams to not do, right? So by providing information to everybody, making sure everybody's on the same page, the borrower feels secure and that translates to a great customer experience. Um, I've been with the company for going on almost a decade now. And I've noticed that our loan officers seem to get updates on the regular regulatory changes, Fannie Freddie updates, um, stuff like that sooner than other mortgage companies. Why is that? Like, how are we getting the info sooner and then getting out to the consumer faster? Are we doing something different? 
So we have really great relationships with our lending partners, right? So that means with agency, Fannie Freddie, and um, we have monthly meetings, you know, the credit risk manager and myself have monthly meetings with our representatives um, from both of those agencies so that we can discuss any issues we're having, um, anything that's coming down the pipe, you know, all of the little things that get missed by not having communication, we're getting by having that meeting. Um, so that makes a huge difference. It allows us to then translate that data onto the sales team and, and everything else. Also, when we get information, so if we get, you know, an announcement about something, we're putting that together and sending it out at the next, you know, the next time that we, we send emails at nine and three, right? So if we get it at noon, we've got something going out at three. That's really important for us to be able to get that information out immediately um, when it's meaningful to the sales staff and can make a difference. I think that's the best thing. It's that 93 email. Like you would expect it kind of thing. Something happens. It can easily, I mean, like Derek and I are in sales position, so we can easily twist it to the sales pitch to kind of put it out there to things. But it's like knowing that's when it's going to happen and expecting it, like that's, it's been great for myself, for my realtor partners and sending it out there. Um, but so like I said, like, Derek and I, of course, on the sales team, we were in coaching and um, coaches ourselves now for the company. So I know the company kind of prides itself on professional development, at least for the LO side, we see because that's where we're at. How does TML support it on your guys' side of things, on the operations side? I'm a big proponent of growth. So, you know, if if somebody is in a position that they're not happy with or that, you know, they don't feel is the right fit or we don't feel is the right fit, you know, we are 100% about making sure that we find that right fit for them. You know, um, I will never, ever stop somebody from wanting to grow. If they're in a position that, and they come to me and say, I would like to try something else, I am going to be their number one supporter. Like, that is huge. That is so important to me for them. Um, I, you know, I don't ever want to be a reason that somebody doesn't move up or um, move over to another position that they would like to explore. Um, Derek is living proof of that. Right. I, I mean, this day. So, <laughs> and when Derek first started with us, he was a post closer for or a shipper for me. And it was not the right fit in any way, shape or form. He's a born salesperson. I mean, You're a peacock. You got to let him fly. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I it, it was really important. But she didn't fire me. It did not. She called, she called a branch manager and said, I have a guy that's perfect for sales. I need you to come get him tomorrow. Because he's, he's got to get out. He talks to everybody that walks by his cubicle and I can't have it anymore, but he needs to get to sales. Yeah. I mean, like, so, I mean, she saw it and I'm forever grateful. You changed my life. I mean, that, and that's important to me, you know what I mean? Because it was important in my own personal growth. I'm having the freedom and the support to do what I wanted when I was ready and when I wanted and the encouragement to do it, even if I wasn't ready. Um, and that's something that I had, you know, very much so with, with ownership. I mean, they always encouraged me and they've always given me freedom to grow um, and supported me in everything that I've wanted to do for the company um, and that they've wanted me to do for the company. So I want to make sure that that translates to anybody who works for us as well. I mean, it is pretty, pretty amazing. Like I have Brett and Todd's cell phone, like I text them, even, even if it's work questions or, you know, when the last year when the Cowboys beat Tampa Bay in the playoffs, of course, I let Brett know the whole time, but he was talking crap the year before. But it was it's just amazing how how much culture we have here at TML. Like, you know, my only other big organization, of course, was the Army, and there's a lot of culture there. But like coming over to here and how much we kind of see with things. So Yeah, I think we're a big company, but we're pretty small, too. Like when it comes to like just 
the culture and, and how everybody kind of gets together, works together, like team effort for everything. So I think, you know, with some of these companies, they have so many layers and information gets lost in layers. When yeah. you have, you know, managers and regional managers and sales managers and all of these things in between your sales staff, your underwriters, um, your support teams, it it does nothing but hinder. It I don't think it promotes growth. I don't think it promotes education or knowledge sharing. And I think that the way that we have it is what has really worked and helped our staff grow, you know, in their own level of education, in their own level of customer service, all of those things that, you know, we want to see happen, the coaching and everything else, all of that is because of the freedom to talk to anybody, right? Open door policy. You need to talk to your underwriter, you call, you talk to them. You need to talk to your closer, you call, you talk to them. You need to talk to an owner, you call, you talk to them. Period, end of story. Yeah. All right. So now it's time for Sherry's crystal ball. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would like you to predict the future. So where do you think rates are going? Are we going to see, like, is it certain Fed meetings that you think we'll see drop after that? Is it just a matter of time? Like, we just got the PCE report that showed good numbers. So are you just going to have to see that, like, month after month after month to slowly get down? Or... (laughs) Yeah, there had been talk that you know there could be a possible rate cut in March. I don't see that happening. I don't. Um, I think that the economic data has been mixed. You know, there's been enough mix in there for there to still be hesitancy um, right. in them to do a rate cut this soon. Um, so I would anticipate later in the year for a first cut. I think that rates will continue to improve. But there's going to be a little bit of volatility in there, you know, if employment data, you know, or the CPI doesn't come down as fast as expected or anything like that. So the the economy is still pretty strong. Um, but I think it's being funded by consumer debt. Um, and that consumer debt is going to come calling, um, you know, and so I think that we will see a boost in cash out refis where people use their equity to pay off all their debt. Um, right. You know, it's one of the things that we talk about all the time is blended rate. You know, you may have a mortgage that is at three or 4%, but your credit cards are at 30. So and car loans are at nine. Yeah, you're getting nowhere you're, with that yeah. consumer debt that way. So you're, it is better. Paycheck to paycheck yeah, it is much better to, you know, refinancing and have a rate in the sixes because your blended rate is significantly less on all of right. that debt. Um, so. Well, and I think that just what consumers saw too, when rates went up, I mean, it went like this, you know, and it was fast. And I think rates high. will go like this, you know, they'll come down a little bit of volatility occasionally just, but I think that slowly, but surely we'll be getting back. Do you think 3% rates will ever happen again? No, those were artificial. It was, those were artificially easy. low. Yep. Yep. They were artificially low because of the Fed, um, you know, dropping the overnight lending rate to zero immediately um, when COVID occurred. So I don't anticipate that we will see that again. Gotcha. I think for the longest time, I mean, it was before I was in the business, but, you know, buying my own home, it was always in the fours for, for a long time. They didn't fluctuate as, as crazy, but I always saw that. So I could, I could see it going eventually in there again. 
I mean, if we're just talking how about long, how long it will take to get there, but as the economy, right. I mean, I think it, the average rate over the last 30 years is in the fives. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, when you, when you put all of time together, you know, you're averaging out five and a quarter, five and a half. Um, so that is probably where we will kind of settle um, is somewhere in there. Will we have some dips into the fours? Possibly. It's yeah. going to depend on if the Fed, you know, decides that they can, they're going to buy um, MBS, you know, again, or if right. they're going to still keep, you know, cleaning up their balance sheet. So those are all things that are going to factor in and those are all unknowns. It's not in the future. I think slowly but surely they'll come down. I think 40% reduction in loan officers is great for us. Um, especially going into a year where I think we're going to have more loans to close than we did last year with 40% less competition. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Most, most definitely. I mean, I've already had people reach out. I mean, rates have already started trending downward and that's the fed. The fed saying they're not raising it made the rates kind of start coming down and people are like, Oh, they cut the rates. I'm like, they didn't, they didn't do anything. Oh, the chatter. Yeah. I mean, all, yeah. All they said was they don't want to raise it right now. They're going to hold. And suddenly they went down the, just the stability of it. But Jerry, I can't yeah. thank you enough for, for coming on. I don't know if we, if we, is there anything that you want us to ask you, anything you want to talk about before we kind of close out? No, I think we did a, a good coverage of things. Went all over the place with it. Nothing wrong with that. Awesome. Sherry, can't thank you enough. Uh, for everyone listening, that was Sherry Nedley, our chief operating officer for the mortgage firm. Thank you for joining us on the Brutally Honest Loan Officer podcast. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.